Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. And so we're going to end our series today called Don't Don't Quit. Uh, We're starting a new series in a couple weeks called The Armor of God. Get ready. It's been stirring. We've been getting ready. We've been doing, my wife has been doing studies. I haven't done any yet. She's getting me ready. And so, uh, but we are excited about this next season of our church, The Armor Armor of God. Uh, But we're going to end this series called Don't Quit Today. And we've been working through uh, the story of Joseph. Joseph has a dream when he's 17. God works out that dream. I call it his destiny. It takes about 22 years for him to fully see God work in his life. And so what I've done is I've talked to you about God's dream. I've talked to you about trusting God. I've talked to you about what you should do with your dreams, how you should handle them. And in the last three weeks, we've talked about the middle stage, which is the development stage, which most of us, we tend to get antsy and we quit on. We talked about decisions. There's big decisions you're going to have to make. Last week, we talked about delays. Remember what, I, what we said? We said, uh, you're going to have to give God permission to set the pace of your, your race, right? To give him space, right? To let him guide you along. Don't get out ahead of him. Uh, today, I want to talk to you. I think it's fitting on the day you lose an hour of sleep, but I want to talk to you about difficulty and pain. The most important step in the development stage is your willingness and understanding biblically of pain, that God even though he's good. Here's what Satan loves to do with pain. He loves for us to go through pain and for us, because most of us are immature in our faith still, and that's just, we're in a process, right? But many times we'll look at pain and here's what somebody will say. If God was good and God was sovereign and God was grace-filled and God was love and all these things, then God would have never allowed me or put me in this situation. Because I'm in this situation, God can't be Good. Let me tell you, Satan loves when believers get to this point. He loves when we go through pain and we move frequently, give up rapidly, and think dejectedly. So by the end of today's message, here's my goal for you. You might have never heard a sermon like this before. I want you to love pain. I want you to look for pain. In fact, I want you to say to yourself over and over and over again, when you go through a painful situation, no pain, no what? You go to the gym and you don't come back sore, you ain't lifted. You have kids, and you don't wake up sore some days, you're not parenting. You're married, and you're, come on now. In every area of your life, you started a business, and you haven't gone through some seasons of pain, and I'm just preaching to the choir here, because let me tell you something, as a pastor, I've realized, and I talk to people, they say, what's the thing that surprises you the most? It's the constant pain. You have seasons where it's really good, right? You're like, you better enjoy this, because it usually lasts 24 hours. And then it's followed by a kick in the teeth, a punch in the throat, right? All that you're like, you're constantly in in pain. And so you have to understand the significance of pain in your life. So let me just kind of build it like this. First of all, you got to realize if you're a believer, there's two types of pain in everybody's life. First type of pain is stupid pain. You guys know I'm talking about stupid pain? I've told people before, listen, I do lots of funerals. If you jump out of an airplane and you die because you jumped out of an airplane... When I get up to do your funeral, I'm going to tell everybody how stupid you are. So you better find a different pastor or stop jumping out of airplanes. 
If you die, when you jump out of an airplane, nobody should go, oh my gosh, they died. You jumped out and you trusted a sheet to save you. <laughs> Am I preaching right? A stupid pain. You ever try to carry too many, too many groceries and you drop them all? Right? Like you have such a long distance to walk that you can't make two trips. Right? It's mathematically against your manhood. Right? I can't make two trips. That means I'm not a man. I've done this before. When I was in Oklahoma, I lived on the upstairs level of the apartment, but you had to park on the back side of it, walk around, go up the stairs, go into your apartment. So when we got groceries, I felt like I was being smited by God. It was such a long walk to get my groceries up the stairs. So I used to try to carry everything. One day, I bought this whole uh, pack of, of Shasta sodas. You don't know what Shasta sodas are? You need to get to know, right? They're the cheapest sodas you can buy in the history of the world. They were 10 cents a can. I was a poor youth pastor at my first church, so I could get 24 packages of cream soda for $2.40. I'm preaching good. If we had an organ, it'd be right? And so... <laughs> One day we got home, and, and the package, they, they can't even afford a real packaging, so it was just open, like a little open, you know, really thin cardboard box. And I'm like, I got to carry this, and I also have groceries, and we got to go all the way around the apartment, all the way upstairs. I'm carrying all this. So I got the package of the shafts in my hand. I got six bags in each hand. I started walking up the steps, but I didn't have it supported in the middle, and Shasta cannot afford good packaging. As I'm halfway up the steps of my apartment, the middle of the box rips out. All of my Shastas fall down the steps. I was like, oh, Shasta, right? Like down <laughs> the steps. I've been telling that same joke for almost 12 years. It's never not funny. <laughs> Whose fault was, was it? Was it God? Was he going, I'm going to teach you a lesson? idiot, right? It was me. I should have taken two trips. That's what I call stupid, stupid pain. I'm not talking about stupid pain. I'm not talking about the time you don't study for your test and you get a bad grade and you pray God would help you out and he doesn't. I'm not talking about how when you step outside of the will of God and you know you shouldn't date that person, you date them anyways and you have marriage problems the rest of your life. Now, I will tell you God's a good God and he's able to do good things in circumstances that we cause, but that's a different message. What I wish you would do is just run away from stupid pain in your life. And I'm talking to you and me. God said, don't do it. I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. You said, jump. I'll say, how high? I'll do everything you tell me to do. That's, that's running away from stupid pain. What I want to talk to you about is embracing spirit-led pain. You know, the Spirit of God will oftentimes lead you into seasons of pain. He, he will take you into moments where he wants to refine you, he wants to teach you, he wants to prepare you. And if you don't understand this, when you get into a season of pain, you'll be confused. You don't read your word, right? You don't know that Jesus said, hey, in this world, you're going to have troubles. That's what he says. Take heart, he says, I've overcome the world, but he doesn't mince words and say, this is in the small print. He lets us know this life is going to be difficult. You're going to go through moments that are painful, and they have a purpose. No pain, no gain. In fact, watch what it says in James 1. It says consider. That word consider is to think carefully before you make a decision. It's a really important word spiritually because your perspective is either a prison, right, or your passport. You have to be careful with how you think about things. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's what he says. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete and not lack anything. He never allows pain without a purpose in the lives of his children. 
He doesn't let Satan, circumstances, or ill-intending Ill people come into your life and cause you pain without having a significant reason for it. That's, 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 that's helpful, right? Because pain without purpose is awful, right? Like, you ever see those videos of men putting on the, the birth simulators? <laughs> right? And it's funny. And there's confirmation that men are not as strong as women, right? But, but it's also an unfair fight because there's nothing coming out at the end, right? Like the, the, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the painful part that you go through, the labor, the breathing, all that stuff, at the end, you get a baby, right? If men do it, we get nothing, right? We get put on the internet and mocked. <laughs> Pain needs purpose. And so you're going from a pain perspective, watch this, to a gain mindset. God, when you put me in this situation, what, are, what am I going to gain? What are you going to bring out of me? What are you going to accomplish in me? Where are you taking me, me next? There's a purpose to my, to my pain. Think about the life of Joseph. If you were to say, what is the overarching theme of the life and the story of Joseph? It's his ability and willingness to go through pain. He endures hardships. He endures betrayal. He endures being lied to about. He goes through loneliness. He goes through a season of hunger. He faces discomfort. His life was constantly in pain until God got him to his, his destiny. In fact, I want to show you this pain, uh, or what I would call gain mindset, not pain perspective in his story. So, so Joseph, almost 22 years passed to the fulfillment of his destiny. But eventually his brothers come because there's a famine in the land, and they need food from Egypt. Now, if you don't know the story of, of Joseph, he can interpret dreams, and he tells the Pharaoh, as, as he's in prison, he's about to be released from prison, he gets the opportunity to interpret the dream from Pharaoh, and the dream is there's going to be good, you know, uh, the economy's going to be good, the crops are going to be good, it's going to be good, and then it's going to be followed by famine. So this, your dream means we should get ready in the seasons of surplus so that we're ready for the, the seasons of scarcity. So he tells the Pharaoh this, and of course, the famine starts to happen, and, and he loves Joseph. He's like, you, you can interpret dreams. You know, the future, you've got us prepared. So ultimately, he becomes the second most powerful man in the known world at that time. And eventually, his brothers have to come to Egypt because Egypt knew this was going to happen. They have stuff saved up. So the world is coming to, to Egypt, the raising prices, talk about inflation and feeding people, and his brothers who are on the outskirts of Egypt living in, a, in, you know, in the wilderness in tents have to come and ask permission for food. And when they come, they have to ask it from Joseph, but they don't know it's Joseph because years have passed and he looks different. They sold him. When they sold him, he was a young boy put, put into a pit. Now he's a man. He's buffed up. He has gold around him. You ever see Egyptians? He's wearing a half shirt, right? He's got a sweet fade or something like that. And he comes. They don't even recognize him. They, they left him in the pit, and they're going to reintroduce themselves to him in the palace. It's pretty awesome, actually. The Bible says that Joseph has been prepared for this. In, in verse number 3 of chapter 45, the Bible says that Joseph says to his brothers... I'm Joseph. You don't recognize me, but I'm Joseph. He says, is my father still alive? Here's what his brothers do. The Bible says his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Sometimes you just got to give God time. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes, you, like whenever you want to fight your own battle, here's, here's, here's a little side sermon for you. Don't. Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Don't defend yourself. You already lost. Don't argue don't belittle, 
Don't get into it with them. Do what you're supposed to do and let the Lord fight your battles. And this is retribution at its finest. They come. They were real bold when they were selling him. Joseph's there standing there. He's all buffed up. He's in a place of authority. And they're, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, this is, this is as good as it gets, right? This is what the Sixers should have done on Thursday night, right? A whole nother story. I was there. It was painful. He says, when they had done, when, come close to me. He says, when they had done so, he said to them, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Now, if you're not a preacher, you won't see this, but preachers lo love to use slogans with the same letters in them. Do you see what Joseph says? This is a perspective change, right? A gain mindset. He says, you sold me. What did God do? God sent me. Write that down somewhere. You sold me. You tried to get rid of me. But listen, what you were doing was just sending me into the destiny God had for me. So don't be afraid. I actually want to thank you because you got me to this place. Thank you for the pain. Thank you for the years of sorrow. Thank you for the courses in humility. Thank you that you got me into that prison where I was all alone. Thank you that you taught me how to show grace. Because I'm about to have to give you grace because I want to punch you in the face right now. This is just, this in the Bible somewhere, right? You sold me. This is, this is what I call a gain, not a pain perspective. You sold me. You're so mean to me. God left me. God abandoned me. God didn't do this. God didn't do that. God, he forgot me. Everybody else's life is better than me. I lost an hour of sleep today. It's cold. It snowed in March. God, what's going on, right? No, no. You sold me. God sent me. That's a, that's a gain perspective in your life, a gain mindset. So let me give you a few thoughts. Next time, if you're not in a season of pain, you will be in one at some point. Pain comes, if you run from pain, you're going to run from God's plan. Pain comes for us all. If you do anything significant for God, you're going to face pain. If you have the marriage God wants you to have, guess what you're going to face? Seasons of pain. If you raise the kids that you're supposed to raise to love Jesus and to serve him wholeheartedly, you are going to face moments of pain in, in your life that God has destined for you and designed for you. And so here's what you're going to do. Next time you get into a season of pain, right? This is what you're going to do. First thing you're going to do, you're going to ask God three simple things, almost prayers. First one, ask God to dissect you. You remember when you were in seventh grade in science class and you got a chance to cut up in that frog? I don't know why that our government decided that's part of education. But it's one of the only times I like school in my entire life. <laughs> that and lunch, I was an expert at those, right? Gym. But that was so cool. You got a, got a frog, you cut it open, you put little, little pins into it, you put the string, you label the things. It was so cool that when I went to my first year in college and I was a freshman, I had to take science class again or lab or whatever it was, I got to do it again. It was the only time I got a good grade in science in my entire career. Like it was, I was like, I could do this all day long. This is so, this is so cool. But why do you dissect things? You, you dissect things. This is what the, the definition of, of dissection is, is to methodically cut up in order to study and reveal internal parts. It's a learning and teaching experience. And here's what I want you to understand. One of the best parts of being in pain is pain is a great revealer of who you really are and where God still needs to do work. 
pain, when it's from God, if you're a real believer, will lead you deeper into relationship with him. And if you're not a real believer, will take you away from him. Pain will reveal to you if you're a hypocrite or if your faith is real. Pain will reveal to you if you have an idol problem. Let me explain this to you. If there's anything in your life that God does not have permission to take away from you, and you will still faithfully serve him with all of your heart, then you have a sin and an idol problem. If it's a house, if it's a car, if it's a spouse, if it's a child, if it's your hair, for some of you, your looks, your, your, your degree, your, your bank, come on, your bank account, your, your identity you have, and God does not have permission because he has something more for you, eternally valuable for you, to take something away from you so that he can get something to you. If he does that and all of a sudden you rebel and you get angry and you get confused and you stop serving him and you won't come to church and I'm not giving anymore because God didn't do this, it's a revealer that you have an idol problem. And sometimes God needs to put you in seasons of dissection in your life so that he can take something away from you that's ultimately going to get in the way of the future he has for you. I mean, think about, think about Joseph. Think about what happened when God put him in those moments. You can see already that he was prepared or preparing to handle what God has called him to handle. Because most of us want the throne. We want the platform. We want the, you know, the ability to lead other people, but we don't want what comes with it. You got to go through seasons of, of pruning and being alone and God taking stuff away from you and all these other moments. And you see Joseph successfully go through this season of pain in his life. God will oftentimes have to dissect you into these moments and you're going to have to give him permission to do that. Listen, when I first started this church, I said I trusted God, but I constantly worried about money. Like I'm talking constantly worried about money. I think to myself, oh, I better preach on tithing. I haven't preached on tithing for two weeks. I better work them over. I better yell at them, right? Because yelling changes people's hearts. <laughs> if you're a parent, you know that is not how it works. Feels good. It doesn't work, right? And so just yell. And I, was, I would tell people, man, God is the God of abundance, and God is the God of this. But every week on Monday, we would count offering, and I will pray, God, bring more money in. And it got so to the point where we didn't have that many people given, but we, I knew how much came in, and I knew who the people that were given were, right? And so, like, I knew at that point, we had one person in our church. He gave about 10% of the offering at that time, close to it. He gave $500 a week, right? And at that point, we had $5,000 of weekly income coming into our church. To me, at that point, that was a crazy amount of money, but it still wasn't enough. You ever been there? And God, I don't know what to do, but God, I trust you, and I stand in front of the church, and you can trust God, but constantly I would live in fear, and it almost became my idol. I would think about how much money we had and how we were going to pay bills, and if we were going to pay bills, and if we were going to do this. And I got to tell you, one of the hardest moments of my life was when God says, I got to do something in you. And I wish the answer would have been, I'm going to send you more people that give $500 a week. That's how I'll alleviate the stress from your life. I'll give you more. I'll teach you to trust me by giving you more. That's, that's how I want God to work. But that's never what he does. And so you know what he did to me? I went down, and I, I, I'm not, I'm, it was one of the best moments of my life. I went down in the summer. We went to Orlando, Florida for a conference, and we are going to go to Disney World. We are going to spend two weeks there with, my, with my, my kids. They were young, and my parents. We went there. On the first day of the conference, I got an email. 
And the email was from the guy who gave $500. And he was informing me as I was about to begin my vacation, and I had a struggle with finances and worry and anxiety. He was informing me that he was leaving the church today, cancel my recurring giving. How many of you know that ruined my vacation? I had little kids. We haven't been back to Disney World, I don't think, since then. Thank God. And so, <laughs> but I, the whole vacation, and it was a, it was a dissection in my, in, in my life that I needed to have, and here's why. Because I was telling everybody you could trust God and God would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail about against it. But I was lying to myself. So I needed to go through the season where everything was a little tighter. Everything was, I was a little bit more afraid. I didn't have as much as I need to have. And then God said in that season, oh, by the way, I'm not only going to take away this money from you, but I need you to start giving 10% away. And I remember telling God in a real conversation, I will when you bring me another God. And he said, just start doing it. And I remember we just started faithfully giving, and it didn't work out the first day or the second day. And actually, the end of the year, we gave away almost $30,000, and we had $11,000 in the bank at the end of the year. God was not working like I wanted him to. But almost a decade later, later we had one giver that gave $500 a week in, in 2012. Over 10% of the people who give to our church give over $500 a week. I want you to think about that. But if God wouldn't have gotten me to that point right there, we would have never experienced what we experience now. And I would have never known how to steward. You know how I steward it now? It comes in, it goes out, it comes in, it goes. We just throw it. Who needs money? Let's just give it away. Let's just do whatever we got to do, right? But before it was like, oh, we got to keep it all. We got to keep it all. We got to keep it all. And if you can't handle $4,500 or $500, 5000 a week, you certainly ain't going to be able to handle $35,000, dollars $60,000 a week. Amen. You got, you got to let God dissect. I'm, I'm just telling you from my own experience. Let him dissect something in your life. Let him reveal to you an area that he needs to do something, a tune-up in your life. Number two, number two is this. Uh, let God develop you in your life. D develop you in your life. Uh, it, Joseph needed endurance, so God took him through seasons of, of, of hardship. Joseph needed grace, so God allowed him to face relational disappointments where he would have to give grace to other people. Joseph needed to be humbled. So you know, you know what God did? God let him go through seasons of humility. God will allow you to go through seasons, but he's not taking you through them because he's against you. He's taking you through them because he's for you. So here's a prayer that I want you to pray. Next time you go through a painful situation, I want you to pray. Instead of saying, God, deliver me from the pain, I want you to pray, God, develop me through it. Don't deliver me. God, God developed me. Watch what it says in 1 Peter 4. It says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Watch what he says here. I love this. He says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, here's the, the pain. He's going to allow you to go through insults. What does he say? You are what? Everybody tell me what it says. You are what? You're blessed. If you go through difficulties, you are blessed. What, what's the blessing? For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you see what he says? Through the pain of being insulted, when you don't re respond and come back at somebody, the blessing is that the anointing of God rests in your life. I don't want you to ever notice this. Lord, you can come play, play me out so I can speed this process up. But uh, I don't know if you ever noticed in Scripture how many times that the Bible talks about something going from into something else, and the process in the middle is, is to be crushed. So it's developed, but to be developed, it has to be crushed. Look, let me give you an example, classic example. In the Old Testament... When somebody would be given the anointing of God, most of the time they would be anointed. Did you ever read that? 
Like when, when, when Samuel, he would, he would anoint. When Samuel came to David, he, he anointed. He anointed David. That was a representation that the presence of God was going to be on you. It was, it was oil, olive oil, right? But for olive oil to become a substance, it has to first be what? Olives. And for olives to become olive oil, it has to be, has to be pressed, has to be crushed. The, the anointing of God in your, in your life. Somebody said it like this. He said, your potential... And every aspect of your spiritual life is connected to your willingness to go through pain. Every aspect. The Bible talks about wine a lot. New wine and old wine skins. You ever read that? And uh, you know, wine is a, is a drinkable substance, but wine is, does not grow on trees. It, grapes, grapes grow on vines, right? And so in order for grapes to become wine, they have to be what? Crushed. The Bible talks often about the threshing floor. I don't know if you ever read that. The threshing floor where they would, they, would, they would take a wheel and it would go around in a circle and it would, it would crush, crush wheat into bread to prepare for bread. So it talks about the process of, of, of wheat going, going to bread, right? You don't just walk up to a wheat field and, right? Unless you're from Boyertown, you just bite into it, right? No, it has, it, has to be, it has to be crushed. And the point is, in order for you to become who God wants you to be, you have to give him permission to develop you through pain. In fact, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite sermons ever in the history of my life was at a conference years ago. I was a young pastor. And you go to conferences as a pastor for the same reason many of you go to stuff you go to. Like you, you, you sell real estate. You go to the conference where they get you excited. Or maybe you sell oils and you go to a conference or you are a workout person. I have all sorts of friends that go to this workout thing and, and you know, they, they, they do stuff and they get you excited and they tell you you can do it and they pump you up. And same thing for pastors. And so you go there and you want to be pumped up. And I'm sitting in a room, about 2,500 seats. So this has 200 seats in it right now. So just imagine 10, 10, over 10 times the size of this, completely packed. All with people in ministry, like me, young people, old people, men, women. And the first pastor comes up and he preaches and he gets them, everybody pumped up. You could feel the electricity in the room about the bigness of God. God's going to do this. God's going to do that. Yeah, let's go work, right? And encourage you because oftentimes you feel like a failure in ministry. And the next pastor comes up, probably my favorite pastor in the history of all pastors. Like I was so excited to see him. And he comes up and he, and he walks up. The music stops playing. He's introduced. He walks up and he says, who wants to be used by God? What do you think everybody said? It was like a Braveheart moment. We're like, yeah, banging our shields, yeah, right? Yeah, we want to be used by God. He says it again on this side. He says, who wants to be used by God? And everybody's, yeah, one more time. He says, who wants to be used? Everybody's screaming. Comes back to the pulpit. He leans over. He goes, then he must wound you. How many of you know? It got real quiet in there. I said, come, come again. <laughs> and he just went on to share. Listen, if God's going to use you for ministry... He's going to break you before he makes you. He's going to take you through seasons of, of, of misery in your life. Just for real honest. And oftentimes through the seasons of misery is where God births ministry. Because you come out seeing things other people don't see and caring about things other people don't care about and giving, being willing to give to things other people don't care about. And all of a sudden it goes from why did this happen to me to I know why I went through this. And he develops you. And I just know this from being a parent. This is how God works. I mean, think about your kids. How many of you have a kid that you're like, they came out finished products? They're God's gift to the world. There's not a parent that is real that says that. We all go and we have kids. I love them. But they need a lot of work. Right? If you really care. So my kids are the same way. Like I, my five-year-old, uh, when I had a five-year-old Carter, my first, my first son, he came out 
really selfish, just, just extremely selfish, just like most kids. And so when he was five years old, he had gotten into a habit of not saying thank you, especially when he opened presents. He had his birthday party coming up. There's nothing worse than giving a selfish five-year-old a day that's all about him, them. And so, <laughs> and so we had this day for him. He went to, please touch his ear with my parents, came back, and we told him before the party started. It was just our family there and a few cousins. We said, you're going to open presents, and when you open presents, you're going to say thank you. You're going to stop. You're not going to do like you normally do, like, like a conveyor belt. Open throat, open throat, open throat. You're going to stop. You're going to look the people in the eye because that's what a young man does. And you're going to tell them thank you for whatever they bought you. Not just going to say thank you. You're going to say thank you for the blocks or thank you for the toy gun or thank you for the toy story, whatever it was back then. Thank you for this. And if you don't, we're going to make you give back every present at the end of your birthday party. You ever give your kid a warning that you pray that they don't do because you don't want to follow through with it because you know they're never going to forget it and they're probably going to tell the wrong version of it to a counselor someday. <laughs> so he opens the presents really fast. He's really excited. His kids, cousin, they're getting all this stuff. I even, I bought him a brand new pair of Nike basketball shoes. The first time I've ever given him a pair of basketball shoes because he was five and he puts them on and he's running around and he didn't say thank you to anybody. So they left and I was like, I, was like, I, don't, I don't want to do this. And Leah is a much better parent than me much like long term like this is this is and she said we're taking everything back so he sat his little five-year-old son down and with big tears in his eyes he said sorry bud you got to say thank you if you don't say thank you you're never going to do anything great in your life trying to have this conversation with this five-year-old son right he doesn't understand but we know the Bible talks about living with a life of gratitude. The Bible talks about praising the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. The Bible talks about understanding the blessings of God, the grace of God, living a life of gratitude, right? That's the blessed life. So we know that's the outcome. And so we took all of them back. In fact, the hardest part was we pulled up to Ross because I got them Nikes, but I, didn't, I got them from Ross, right? We walked into Ross and I made him carry his shoes as a five-year-old and we took them up and I made him return them with tears in his eyes and tears in my eyes. He returned to these shoes and dejectedly, we walked out of the, into, the, into the thing. But how many of you know that pain had a purpose? Because he didn't forget that. In fact, yesterday, I usually bash my kids, right? And up here, I'm like, hey, hey, touch the walls, all this stuff. And, but they actually do some stuff good every once in a while. He was at his friend's house last night. We texted the mom when he left. He was there all day long. We were like, hey, thank you so much for having him. We know it's a lot of work. They're 14-year-old boys. And this is what she text, texted back. She said, she said, we loved having Carter. He's so grateful. He's so aware. He's so kind. And she was like, you guys should be proud. And I looked at Leah and I was like, you did this, not me. God, he would have kept the shoes, right? And it, it was just, he don't get that if you don't give him seasons where he has to go through pain. This is the same thing with us. You think God likes it when he's like, oh, they're crying and they're in pain. I love this. But he's going, I have something better for you. So I got to shake some stuff out of you and develop some stuff in you so that I can get you prepared to handle this. And the last thing is this, the third word is a word I just call dialect. And, you know, when I, when I put this word, Elliot read through my notes and he was like, I think you mean dialogue. He's an English guy. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. But no, I'm really going for dialect. And dialect, the definition of dialect is real simple. It means this. It, it, it means the language or dialect is like the type of language that you speak in a particular region. And what I was thinking when I put dialect is, you know, you know, by the way somebody talks where they've, where they've been, you know what I'm saying? Like, up here, we put something crooked in the corner. We call it what? Caddy corner, right? I'm going to caddy corner this, a.k.a. waste of space, right? Down south, if they put something in the corner, you know what they call it? Caddy wampus. What? 
If you have a, a, a drawer a, a, in, your, in, your, in your front, in your, in your room with clothes in it, we call it a dresser, right? Like this is my dresser. In the South, they call it a chest of drawers. I told them, you can't do that. You can't take a sentence and make a word, right? You even know here, some of you grew up in an area where you call a body of water, a little stream of water, you call it a, a creek. Others of you, you call it a what? You probably don't have all your teeth, but you call it a creek, right? <laughs> you know, it's a creek, right? Like, no, that's a creek, bro. And you just, no, here's the thing about it. You ever meet somebody and you're like, their faith is just different? Their faith is different. They go through stuff, they have different confidence. They have a different faith. They have a different belief. They have a different trust. They're not all up in arms all the time. They're, 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 they're you know, they're resolute in their trust of God. You know, they even talk differently. They don't, they don't talk about the difficulties. And you ever been around Christians just complain about everything? I refuse to hang out with people like that. Refuse. Like, I'm like, I'm not wasting one second with you complaining about all your stuff, right? We serve a good God. He has a good plan. Just shut up and keep trusting him. What, what, what good is it doing you by whining? Why don't we talk about all the good things he did in your life? What did he do in my life? Well, he gave you breath in your lungs today, and all you've done is suck, right? <laughs> he gave you a husband and a wife. He gave you kids. He gave you that car you just drove up here with. He gave you gift, talents, and abilities. He got you to a point where you would respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Should I keep going? No. And you just see, and they just are... I, Something happens when you go through seasons of pain. You know there's not one person in Scripture, not one. Not one person that we talk about, that we learned about in Sunday school, that we read about in Bible reading plans, not one that didn't go through pain in their life, even to the point of our Savior. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, endured pain. You know why he endured pain? The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know who the joy set before him was? You and me. He went through pain because it had purpose. Go from a, a pain perspective to a gain mindset in, in, in your life. Let the Lord take you through that season. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? And would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we spend just a moment focused on the presence of God? You, you, I told you a couple of weeks ago, and I'll tell you again in Montgomery, but here, don't, don't check out right here. The most beneficial moment of our service is when we stand up, we bow our heads and we close our eyes, and we say, Lord, speak to me now. Like, you've been doing something, but Lord, would you confirm it? Would you speak? Would you encourage? Would you challenge? And here's all I pray in this moment. Hey, Holy Spirit, would you do what only you could do? Because nothing good's going to happen at the end of this service without him. I love his word. I love his presence. I love the promise of scripture that we're two or more gathered in his name, that he'll show up. And when he shows up, profound, life-changing, eternity-breaking moments happen. And he's here. He's here. Some of you have been going through something right now. You're a believer. You've been confused because you're new to faith. And you're like, man, I, I, I was, everything was going so good in the beginning. Like I was, I was following God and everything was working out. And now I've gone through a season of pain. Listen. It's just pruning. It's for your benefit, ultimately for his glory. He's doing something in you so that he can accomplish something through you. Stop praying that he would deliver you and pray that he would develop you because who you are now is not good enough for what he wants to do in your life in your future. So lean into it right now. Don't be confused. He's not against you. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes his eyes off you. Nothing surprises him. 
He's for you. So just lean in right now. Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I don't like this season I'm in. I'm not going to lie. I don't understand it fully, but I trust you completely. I trust you completely. Others of you in this place, man, you don't know, you don't know Christ. And you heard me talk about him. He says, for the joy set before him. Like, what does that mean? Well, we are not a religious church. That's not what we are. We don't, we don't bring people in and teach them certain creeds and put them in classes and, you know, make sure they talk right and look right and dress right. And then they become a good person. You know how religious people say, they say, I'm a good person. And because I'm a good person, there's a perfect God. He likes me because I'm good. And so we're trying to make good people. Oh, no, no, that's not in the Bible. There's no such thing as good people. No such thing. The Bible says all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us, the wages of our, of our sin is death and hell, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord for anyone. And I love that. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus came, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose in power on the third day, that he ascended to the place of authority and he calls you by name home, that if you ask him to come into your life, that he'll come in and he'll change you. Anyone. No good and bad people. No, no. Only difference between me and you is right now I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And trust me, I don't have it because I earned it. I don't have it because I went to Bible college. I don't have it because of my upbringing. I have it because I decided at one point in my life that I can't do life on my own anymore. I can't make my own purpose. I can't find my own way. I'm tired of feeling shame and bitterness and anger and resentment. Jesus, I need a relationship with you. And I called out to him and he came into my life and he's been walking with me from that day forward. He's never left me and he's never turned his back on me. And it's not because I don't deserve it because I've let him down. I've struggled. But the beginning of life, the beginning of peace, the beginning of joy is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. So I'm going to ask you if that's you in a second. If I'm speaking right now, and as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is knocking at your heart, and you're saying, man, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want one. I want one. I want a relationship with God. I want to invite him into my life right now. The Bible says through prayer and faith, he'll come in. He'll take you just as you are. You could have walked into this place a complete mess, a complete failure, full of addiction, full of brokenness, and he will take you right there as you are. He'll take you. He's not going to leave you that way, but he's going to take you right there. So if you're in this season of your life, you say, you know what? I don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not walking with him. I'm not following him. He doesn't fill me up. He doesn't speak to me. I don't let him lead me, but I want that. I'm tired of being my own boss. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life all over this place. If that's you, front to back, side to side, in Montgomeryville, if that's you, front to back, side to side, and you say, hey, pastor, that's me. The Lord is speaking to me. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, with some courage, with strength, with everybody else's heads bowed and eyes closed, not worried about the person to your right or left, and you would say, hey, that's me. Without any shame and full of faith, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, pastor, that's me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I see a hand all the way in the back right here. Is there anybody else who say, hey, pastor, that's me. I see a hand right here. Yeah. I'm just going to stand here for a second. I got nowhere to be. I got nowhere to be. Is there anybody else who say, hey, pastor, that's me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life right now. If you're in Montgomeryville and you say, hey, that's me, we're going to pray as we close. Maybe you've never prayed before. It's simple. It's simple. He sees you. He knows you. And he's here. And you're just going to say, Jesus, I need you. 
I need you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're saving and setting people free. Lord, your word is full of freedom. It's full of hope. It's full of joy. It's full of peace. And your presence, when it shows up it, in a profound way, it changes people. Can't even explain it. Lord, that you're able to do more in a moment than we're able to do in a lifetime. You're able to break addictions and heal hearts and mend and restore lives. Lord, you're able to put us back together in places that we thought would never be put back together. Lord, you restore hope. You bring peace. You bring joy. Lord, somebody you're filling with purpose. They feel like an accident. An accident. They feel like they're nothing. They feel like they're, they were a mistake. They heard that from the moment that they were born. But Lord, the Bible says while they were still in their mother's womb, that you were planning for them, that you were molding them, that you were thinking about them, that you had a purpose for them. But right now, would they feel the weight of that? Would they understand how much you love them, how much you've done to get to them? And when they walk out of this place, the Bible says being an adopted child of God, grafted into your family, fully known, fully saved, and fully being transformed. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done here today, all that you've done in Montgomeryville, and all you're going to do through, do through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, one more time. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap together all over this house. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.